basketball. One, two, one, two, three, four. Alberta. What's from Edmonton, Alberta? Oh, well, who am I? What? Nardwar to humans. Oh, what? And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And yes, from Edmonton. Edmonton. Who am I? I'm Nardwar to Human Serviette. From Edmonton, Alberta, Michael Ralt with Honey Bee. From Edmonton, Alberta, Michael Ralt. Today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show, interviews with the Gallows, not the Gallows. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm probably going to say the Gallows, but Gallows from London, England. Actually, um. At Watford, England, and also on an Ardwardy Human Serviette radio show, Lightning Dust, who are playing next Thursday night at the Biltmore in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Right now, here is a band that the Gallows covered, The Ruts, and then an interview with Gallows. This is The Ruts with Staring at the Rude Boys. <laughs> Loud. Trouble comes through and the music takes a bite, but there's no roots. 
are you? I'm Lee, and I'm from Gallows. And Lee, who else is in the Gallows? There's uh, Frank, Stu, Laurent, and Steph, who are playing soccer right now. Yeah, could you point them out, please? Um, Frank's over there on the ball. Stu is next to him in the white shirt, Steph in the black shirt, and Laurent is doing another interview over there. Are there a lot of black shirts? There is, yeah, as always on Warped Tour. Now, when you were at South by Southwest, you guys played an incredible gig. Yeah, it was uh, like four days of pure mayhem, basically. We did like four shows in, I think, three or four days, and it was insane. One of them was specifically amazing. It was the Gallows, the Circle Jerks, and Echo and the Bunnymen all on one gig. Yeah, that was insane. It was uh, at Emo's, which is one of our favorite venues to play. And um, I think we played first. There was like maybe 50 to 100 people in there, and, you know, we tore it apart, I think. It was like one of the best shows we've done. It was like kind of a comeback show as well, because um, we hadn't played in about a year since we wrote the record and you know it's just good fun now how did that work out circle jerk fans gallows fans hr of bad brains fans mixing with echo and the bunnyman fans yeah it was kind of a, a media frenzy more than like normal fans you know like so everyone's kind of mixed in i think everyone who who was there to see us or hr or circle jerks was also there to see echo and the bunnyman you know it's like it's an eclectic bill but it was one that seemed to work on the night so was there a giant pit for echo and the bunnyman were echo surprised to have a giant pit i didn't actually stay to watch him so you didn't stay for echo i didn't i had my girlfriend at the time with me so we kind of went back your girlfriend at the time yeah, she's not my girlfriend now oh well i have something to cheer you up oh. we have a gift here some vancouver british columbia punk rock for you the band the subhumans nice. from vancouver nice very good now this is not the english subhumans this is the vancouver subhuman Ooh, thank what do you know about the english subhumans not too much. Well, you're going to learn all about the Vancouver subhumans. Well, I'll have to take it home and put it on my record player. Some Canadian content, some Vancouver Canadian content. Now, the gallows in Vancouver, you have an interesting history, don't you? One gig, Frank, and where's Frank again for the people that are wondering? He's there, the guy with the red hair in the white shirt, about to kick the ball. And He's very agile, isn't he? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> now, what happened in Vancouver? He ended up doing a gig sitting on a chair with the cancer bats. What happened there? Um, we've been, been on tour with that for maybe two months and the Vancouver show was towards the end of the tour and um, I think we played in LA and he managed to really hurt his back like he landed full on a monitor like on his back and I don't know how he managed to carry on playing that show and then he had to play like the next week of shows pretty much sitting down which is not like him at all and that gig was in Vancouver yeah it was uh, the plaza I think it was incredible like chair yeah it was awesome like there was still like kids stage diving over the top of Frank sitting on a chair so he did other gigs on the chair then he did a couple you know he, he tries not to sit down at all but like sometimes he just has to take a break if he's if his back's hurting too much and that was with the cancer bats it was yeah like they're one of our favorite bands like Canadian content yeah like really good friends of ours have been on tour with us in the UK before and like we took them out over here too and you know they're just the nicest guy and fucked up you took them to her too yeah fucked up we've taken a lot of Canadian bands. you really helped Canadian bands because yeah. cancer bats were on the cover of Kerrang weren't they they were like the cover of Kerrang now could you put that in perspective the cover of Kerrang that's bigger than enemy isn't it yeah like it is now it's like the biggest, pretty much the biggest weekly independent music magazine, I think. So, um, yeah, it's big news. You know, anyone who gets the cover, you know, they're pretty much guaranteed, like, success. You open up for the gallows, you get on the cover of Kerrang! Maybe. I think it's amazing, too. Fucked Up, they got totally popular. And you actually, did you bring them over for the first time, or how did it work out with Fucked Up? Um, I think they've been over a couple of times to the UK, and, you know, we love the band. We decided to take them out on, like, a bigger tour in the UK, and then, like, the enemy and Kerrang! started to focus on them a lot more. And since then... I think they've been over maybe three or four times. So, you know, they've gained in popularity quite a bit and they deserve it because they work so hard. Looking at 
the audience of a gallows gig or a fucked up gig, it gets pretty wild, doesn't it? Yeah. Definitely. And Frank jumps in the audience a lot of times, doesn't he? He does the... Yeah, yeah, pretty much on this tour, the whole band, other than me, because I'm on the drums, have played in the crowd. So it's like a very interactive experience. Have you thought about going in the crowd? Like the drummer for the Monotonics from Israel, he goes into the crowd with the drums. I'd love to, but uh, I'd probably sound quite bad. So when you go into the crowd, does the crowd ever steal the mic from Frank? All the time. Pretty much every song he doesn't sing. You know, he might like sing a line and then someone will take his mic and that's it, you know. After... Do they want to give back the mic? Not normally. Is it hard for him to get back the mic? Like, has he ever had to get a bouncer to get the mic back? Like, like teasing him by not giving the mic back. Yeah, a couple of times he's had to do that. Do you remember where that was? Um, there's like been a couple of times, like Cincinnati, this tour, we played in a rainstorm and like kids were just doing like sliding walls of deaths on their belly and taking his mic and he pretty much didn't sing for the entire set. You guys here at the Warp Tour in Vancouver, BC, Canada. Yeah. What time were you playing today? Uh, we're playing at 7.45 actually. PM? Yeah. It could be AM though, couldn't it? Because at the Warp Tour, there's some strange hours. Yeah, we've uh, we've played at 11 AM a few times this tour and it sucks because no band should be forced to play at that time. Yes, I have a quote here. This is from Lawrence, Kansas. And this is what Frank said, 11.15 AM. No band should have to play this early. Excuse me if I vomit on you. Yeah, that is exactly what he said. And it's true, you know, like it's, it's boiling hot. You're playing at 11 AM, like a couple of us drink pretty heavily like the night before we don't want to play a show at 11 a.m. so um, it gets pretty hard but then I heard in 2007 you had one of your best gigs ever in Dallas at 11 a.m. yeah that's true uh, I think so you like playing early it, I don't know like sometimes we just we do whatever we want and if we play at 11 and we're all in a good mood it'll be a good show you know people come out and watch us and expect the same from us every time no matter what time we play so we try and give it our best every like if we play at 11 or if we play at 8 at night but you also said you like playing early because then you have the day free to explore the city yeah you know like when we played Dallas uh, we went and saw the grassy knoll which was awesome like straight after our set so there is times when we're in a good city and we'll go out and explore and you know see a bit of the city on this particular tour there's a lot of interesting musicians aren't there if you can call them that well there are some heroes of yours aren't there heroes of gallows in fact who do we have on this particular tour Oh, Dag Nasty. Featuring? Uh, fucking Bad Religion members. Brian Baker. Yeah, man. Uh, bad Religion. Yeah. Now, what is the connection between Dag Nasty, Brian Baker, and the Gallows? Yes, and it's this song right here, Staring at the Rude Boys. Staring at the Rude Boys by the number one UK punk rock export. The Ruts. What can you tell the people about Dag Nasty doing Staring at the Rude Boys and Gallows? You've got me here, because I didn't even know Dag Nasty had done this song. Yes, check it over. Did you see it on the back there? On the back here, but this is the first time I've ever seen that they've done this song. So, you got me. I knew this, the Ruts had done it, but not Dag Nasty. So, where did you find out about the song, Staring at the Rude Boys? Not from Dag Nasty. Although, now you can talk to Brian Baker about it. You have some extra info. I didn't know that. It's pretty, it's pretty strange. Um, actually, our manager said we should cover it for a Kerrang! compilation. And it kind of went massive on the back of that. And... Um, we didn't expect it to at all. You know, we ended up getting a rapper on the song, which, you know, is not a gallows thing to do at all. And, um, yeah, it was like our first single in the UK to hit the charts as well. So I guess a lot of people liked it. When you guys are touring around, do you get a chance to meet a lot of old punkers? I mean, England being home of punk, a lot of people will say. A lot of people will say. Do you get to meet some of the old punkers? Did you ever meet any of the ruts? Or did you get to meet any of the verrukers or dischargers or anything like that? Not really. Uh, like, I'd have loved to have met Paul Fox before he died. Like, his son's come out to a couple of shows, which means a lot to us. Like, they, they really like the track. But um, we, have, we don't really bump into many old punkers. You're like, we still don't sh 
stared a, uh, shared a stage with many of them. Like they all kind of do uh, like this fe- this festival called Rebellion back home. They all gather together. It's like this massive old punk rock fest. Like Holidays in the Sun or some other giant. Well, yeah, like stuff like that. And we're never invited to play it because I think we're too young. Well, what about TSOL? Didn't you meet Jack from TSOL and he gave you some beer? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, Jack came and watched our set. I think it was like in Ventura, maybe. And, uh, American punker. Yeah, yeah. And he liked the set and he said, have our beer for the day. And, you know, the guys were stoked. <laughs> Did Frank ever get the fuck the enemy tattoo? No, he didn't. He was going to get it because he was on the cover of Enemy? Yeah, he was voted, like, number one coolest rock star or something for a year. And it pretty much bummed him out because we're not all about that at all. And um, Enemy just fucking misquote us all the time. And we've pretty much cut our ties with that magazine now anyway. So he should just get the tattoo. We, we should all get the tattoo, I think. Now, his mom could give him a tattoo. His mom has actually given him tattoos. Yeah. There's been a few celebrities who've given him tattoos, like Chad from Newfound Glory did, his mum, who's now... Newfound Glory tattoo. He got, he got, like, some kind of tattoo on stage at Reading Festival when Chad done it, and, like, his mum tattooed... So Chad will never turn down a tattoo. No. Sorry, I mean, sorry, Frank will never turn down a tattoo. No, like, it was kind of, uh... I don't know, it was like a, a landmark event for us, and he really wanted something to mark it, and, you know, Chad came on stage and gave him this tattoo that he took, like, two seconds to do. So Frank being the number one punk pinup in the UK for a little while, is he to blame? Are you gallows to blame for stuff like this? Here's a clipping from the paper. We have Kristen Stewart, the star of Twilight. Right. And what t-shirt is she wearing? She's wearing a minor threat shirt. A minor threat t-shirt. What is the world coming to? The gallows on the coolest minor threat in Twilight? I don't know. I, I don't really like it when this stuff happens. Like we had a big thing a few years ago in the UK where like kids were wearing motorhead shirts and you could buy them in like high street shops and it's not cool. Like the people don't know who they are. I'm, for all I know, Christian Stewart might know who Minor Threat are, but it's pre- pretty unlikely, I reckon. So it's good that she's repping a good band, but maybe she should listen to their songs first. And I wonder if that's a legitimate shirt too, eh? A bootleg shirt, perhaps. Probably a bootleg. Because it's kind of good at people wearing motorhead shirts. Isn't it like Lemmy getting some money? Lemmy needs some money, doesn't he? Have you met Lemmy? Never met Lemmy. Not even in LA or anything like that? No, no, I've never bumped into him. So, Gallows Watford, what's Watford like? It's the end of the line, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's like the last stop in, uh, when you get into London, it's pretty much the last stop of the line. It's, uh, it's just a, like a, a suburb, you know, like pretty much like anyone back here in, in Canada or, um, or the States. And people go out, they go and drink at nine to five, like do a nine to five job, they go out and drink afterwards, live a boring life. And hopefully we were the exception to that, you know, we broke out of Watford and hit them, hit the big time. But there's an important person that has helped out Watford, Elton John. Yes. It's an Elton John connection to Watford. Um, he actually is the chairman of Watford Football Club, and he comes from there. And like, when I when I say Pete to people, I'm from Watford. I say, yeah, that's where Elton John's from. And you're actually the first person who's come out and said, yeah, Elton John's from Watford. So that's pretty good. There's some interesting quotes about Watford football fans, aren't there? Uh, is there? Yes, and jokes. For instance, football joke. How many Watford fans does it take to change a light bulb? Go on, tell me. Both of them. <laughs> Boom! See, I don't support Watford, so I can laugh at that. Are there that few fans? I thought there was quite a few fans. Maybe 15,000. Not that many. How about in London? What's London like? The London Eye. It's like that tourist attraction. What's the, what is the London Eye and should I go to it? It's a good attraction for the day. You know, it's just a, a big Ferris wheel that overlooks the Thames and all like the major sites in London. It's good for a day out if you've never been to London. I wouldn't recommend going there like on a consistent basis though. How about the Tate Modern? 
Tate Modern's good. I recommend that. There's a lot of places in London which are cool to check out for tourists. So Tate Modern's good if you like your art, obviously. How about Harrods? Harrods. Oh, you need more money to go there. Is that still around? It is, yeah. How come it hasn't gone bust? Does people love expensive stuff? Yeah, you know, like, rich people come over, they go to Harrods, they spend, like, five grand in a minute. So I've never done that. I've not got the money. Now, it's people that might be into modeling. And speaking of modeling, I was wondering, your lead singer, Frank, what is going on here? Frank was earning some extra money by uh, modeling some jeans with what looks like a lot of toothpaste or something on it. I don't know. So he was actually earning money for this? He was actually modeling, yeah. I think uh, his friend called him up and said, come and do some modeling for me. You know, I'll, I'll give you a fair bit of money. And he'd done it. You know, fair play, I would. Did he share it all with the money? Like, did it pay for any gallo stuff? Nope. No, not for the van or anything like that? Nope. Just kept it for himself. So Frank was really watched then when he was the cover of NME, eh? Yeah, I think so. Like, he's, he's a good model, you know. He's got the tattoos. He's got the look for it. He's got plenty of tattoos. So, fair enough. Do people get stuff mixed up? What sort of stuff? Well, what I mean particularly by that, this is Frank, as pictured, check this, supposedly, with his girlfriend. <laughs> oh my god. Now, is that Frank, and is that his girlfriend? It's definitely not Frank. Who is that? It's funny, I've seen this photo before, because someone told me about it, and I've no idea who it is. He looks more like the guy from Linkin Park. Right there we have London socialite Alice Delal. Now, is that his girlfriend? No. So that's not Frank's girlfriend? No. So he's being accused of having a fake girlfriend and that's not even him? Not even him. So he just suddenly ends up in the photos? Yeah. I, pe people should realise that Frank's got neck tattoos, he's got a different chest piece. It's just lazy journalism, really. <laughs> I can't believe this. I'm going to have to show him after. I think can we show him right now? Why don't you call him over? Do you think he'd actually come over? Go. He's playing in goal right now. I don't think we should. Oh, but he'll probably let a few in. Frank! Fra oh, how's he doing in goal, by the way? How's he doing in goal? He's going out of goal right now. Oh, he's kicking, oh, he's the, ball. kicking the ball this way. Are you gonna, the football club. Maybe you could just comment to the... Is Frank coming over here? I don't think he wants to. He's kind of coming over here. Does he, does he like Elton John? I don't know. Probably. Frank, we have a question for you. One question. One question, or maybe two questions. Have you seen this photo? Yeah, there you go. Frank, is that you? <laughs> Told you. Wow. Thanks for helping us get the truth there. That's really important to get the truth. And himself right there, so. The Vulture, that's one of your songs. It is, yeah. The horse is drowning. That's sad. I was sad by that. Yeah, you know, the whole uh, lyrical theme of the new record is pretty sad. It's pretty grim. So, uh, Horses Drowning in the Water is one of the more upbeat lines from the, from the album, so... Uh, yeah, well, I can't really say too much on the lyrics because Frank writes them, but when I heard them I was like, it's dark, it's moody, it's grim, it's pretty much what I love. Kind of like Frank right now. Yeah. Not really wanting to comment, play the football, that's the important thing. Yeah, like it's the first time he's played football in a long time, so I'd leave him to it. Now what I was wondering about winding up your gallows, I have a quote here from the Colonel K Speaks blog. And on it it says, quote, gallows destroy pub rock, punk rock idiocy is alive. Do you remember this gig? This was at the Old Blue Pub. The Old Blue Last. Uh, I don't remember the, the quote. I remember the show. We've done like three really insane shows at the Old Blue Last before. Like Frank's been hanging off chandeliers on the ceiling and like sofas have been torn up and like people just throwing their drinks around. Um, it's pretty much spot on. It's a good What happened there? Punk rock idiocy is alive. Was there a pub actually destroyed? Was it actually destroyed? It was leveled pretty much. Like it was, uh, I think it was either Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve and um, everyone went a bit too, too nuts maybe. And 
it was it was punk rock idiocy but like it was entertaining so what happens when that happens who's responsible is that what the modeling pays for uh we didn't pay for a fucking thing oh that's good the pub love it they always ask us back so it gives them the name were people drinking at that time was it an all ages gig or are there all ages gigs yeah it was an all ages show so was there beer too did that contribute to it yeah how about the hundred club what was it like playing the hundred club that's home of punk rock isn't it or is it really the hundred club i thought it's like different than the actual hundred club it's still the hundred club at heart you know it's still called that it's uh you know where the pistols did a lot of their shows back in the day we did like a four night run there back in march last year and like the shows were just off the off the hook it was like four of the best shows we've ever done and um you know like maybe 150 people crammed in each night and it's what punk rock's all about what about on this particular warp tour what makes a good show for a warp tour show um i just say like a lot of people being there knowing the words and the new record like just singing along getting involved i think you'll see tonight if you see the show what it's all about um canada's been really good for us on the tour some places in america have sucked but things like basically a good show is people coming along and having a good time who understand what gallows are all about ACDC. How did you guys get a box at the ACDC gig? Well, you know a lot about us. <laughs> well, you're the gallo. <laughs> uh, just through friends connected, you know. So um, that was a good show. You watched ACDC at the O2? It was, yeah. It was uh, O2 Arena, like 20,000 sold out like in five minutes or something stupid. And we were asked to go along in a box and, you know, you're not going to turn that down. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Not really, just check out our record please. We're coming back in October as well with Flogging Molly. We're going to be in Vancouver for two nights at the Commodore Lounge, I think it is. And uh, just come and see us play. Why should people care about the Gallows? Why should people care? Because we're still one of the only punk rock bands who've got something to say. And there's not many left. Well, thanks so much Gallows. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Do do. I keep a bad way to play in the sole of my shoes. Help me when I can't stop thinking of you Hands and knees, head on the floor
And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have on the line right now? Hello, are you there, callers? <laughs> well, you've got Josh. I think, uh, I think Amber's been disconnected. Oh, well, who are you, Josh? And uh, while Amber dials back, please explain who Amber is. Well, uh... I'm Josh. I uh, play the piano in Lightning Dust, and uh, Amber, who is calling back in, is uh, the guitarist and singer from Lightning Dust. And Josh, who else is in Lightning Dust? Is that it? And what song did we just hear? We heard I Knew. Is that just you guys? Uh, yeah, that's just us. Um, we, we make our albums just as a two-piece, um, but uh, live we have two people that join us to help us play the songs. We've got Ryan Peters on drums and guitar, who also plays in Lady Hawk, and uh, Ashley Weber, who sings and uh, plays bass, formerly of the organ. And Amber Weber. Amber, are you there? <laughs> yes, I am. Welcome to the Nerdware to Human Serviette radio show. Well, thank you for having me. And we have just connected with you, Amber, and we also have Josh on the line from Lightning Dust. <laughs> And Josh has just gone down and told us out there in Radioland of all the people involved with Lightning Dust. Who else is involved with Lightning Dust, Amber? I'm curious as to what you will say. Who else is in Lightning Dust? Who else is in Lightning Dust? Uh, well, I don't know what he told you, but it, it, live it's, it's uh, four people. So it's Ryan Peters, Ashley Weber, my sister, and myself and Josh. And on the album we have uh, Chris Dirksen and Colin McKill playing some strings. So those are some extra names there, Josh, that I got extra from Amber. Names. Extra names from Lightning Dust. So who will be in Lightning Dust next week at the Biltmore? Because that's who you're playing next Thursday night at yeah. the Biltmore. All of those people will be there. Up on stage with the Lost Lovers Brigade and Cipriano, too. D that's right. How do you guys know DJ Cipriano? Oh, well, uh, we used to live with that guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's been sorely missed uh, of late. He's been in Toronto for three years. Um, and so, yeah, it's good to have him back. So we thought we'd uh, have him play our show. He's the best DJ we know. He's been missed, but you may not have missed him because he's been writing all these amazing liner notes for all these reissues on Light in the Attic record label. Yeah, that's right. Like he did the liner notes for the Monks, and then he did all that from Jamaica to Toronto liner notes. He loves writing the liner notes. Is he, Amber, <laughs> going to write some liner notes for Lightning Dust? Oh, yeah, maybe one day. Is there a box set coming out of Lightning Dust? Have you been involved with any project that might warrant a box set liner notes? Have there been any Black Mountain or Pink Mountain Top liner notes? <laughs> Is anybody writing about you guys? How desperate are you? You're on an hard party human serviette radio show. Your public <laughs> your publicist is working it, isn't he? He's working it. <laughs> He's trying, he's trying. Oh, yeah. He's doing Guys, a great... working hard. He's doing a great job. And Lightning Dust, I wanted to ask you, because I think the last time I saw you playing live in the Pink Mountaintops formation, that was at the Victory Square Block Party, and there's no Victory Square Block Party this year. There isn't? There's no Victory Square Block Party happening. Well, that's a shame. What do you guys remember about that, the Victory Square Block Party? It's a lot of fun. You. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That was, that was a great show. Are you getting out to any of the block parties or Amber? Like there was one last week, Hippie Days on 4th Avenue. 
I was out of, uh, I think I was out of town, but actually, I think Josh went and saw the woman from the Poppy family. Yeah, I was there. Set. Was that right? I saw, I saw some band called The Evaporators, and, uh, and I also saw Susan Jack's set. Amazing, Susan Jack. So what did you think about that? You love the Poppy family, don't you? I I'm get- a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of the Poppy family. Now you got- uh, it, it was really cool to see her um, playing again. Uh, it would... You know, it it was it was cool to have um, her two bandmates join her, but uh, I gotta say, I would have liked to see Terry Jacks up there too. How big are the Poppy family? Because when you guys go on tour, you must see the Poppy family in a lot of people's CD or LP collections. Like, how big are the Poppy family? People love the Poppy family, don't they? <laughs> Maybe in Canada, I don't know. Did they ever cross the the border? Yeah, they had some big hits in the States. I was just yeah, curious, so. like, have you guys run into people that are into the Poppy family like yourselves? Like, when you say the word Susan Jacks to, like, some audience in Mississippi, have you guys played Mississippi before? Uh, no, no. We uh, we have, um, no, no, we've never played in Mississippi. We've, we've played with Black Mountain in Alabama, uh, and we're playing in Alabama with Lightning Dust on this upcoming tour. But never in Mississippi. Never, never seems to come up. So you haven't been able to test to see if people in Mississippi are into Susan Jacks and are like, <laughs> no, and are as excited as you were to see her. Like Susan Jacks, she's like a ghost. It's like you know, in Sweden, ABBA are kind of like ghosts. You never seen them. But Susan right. Jacks wasn't it kind of like a ghost is to actually see an actual Poppy family person on Fourth Avenue. Susan, That's cool. Susan Jacks, and people can see <laughs> actual lightning dusters next Thursday night at the Biltmore in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with the Lost Love. Brigade, who in a different sort of combination also played the block party there last week, didn't they? As the Apollo Ghosts. Right, right, that's right. How do you know the Lost Lovers Brigade? Oh, actually, we met on the internet. Really? What were you yeah. bonding over? Oh, just, just like a, basically a shared kind of uh, uh, musical aesthetic, you know? It's like we just kind of um, hooked up with some over, I guess it was MySpace or something like that, but they're just a cool sounding band. They're just a really interesting band, and we're always yeah. like looking for, you know, new sounds to hear in our own hometown. Yeah, they, we've, I've actually never seen them live. So I've only ever heard uh, a few of the demos they got on their MySpace, but so, uh, so it'll be ex- really exciting to hear them live for the first time at the show next week. So, and I love what I, I hear on my stage. It sounds really great. Amber, as part of Lightning Dust playing at the Biltmore next week, how do people win you over? How does somebody attempt to win over Amber? I heard that a guy from High on Fire loved you so much, Amber, he just <laughs> grabbed you and dragged you backstage. Oh Lord, you're bringing me back here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I met him in um, what was it, Scotland? Yeah, in, Glasgow. Yeah, it was Glasgow, and yeah, I think he they they were sponsored by Jägermeister, and I think he had a little too much to drink that night, <laughs> and he took a liking to me, but but uh, he did not win me over. I will tell you that. Um, but uh, I I think just just uh, be. Be nice and don't grab me and try to stick your tongue down my throat. <laughs> we're good. So he just grabbed you. Josh, were you running to protect Amber at this point? Were you screaming, Amber? What was going on? <laughs> I didn't see it happen, actually. <laughs>
What it happened? All good fun. Oh, it all ended good. So that's one approach to get close to lightning dust. Just grab Amber and make sure you use your tongue or approach them like, I guess, the Lost <laughs> Lovers Brigade nicely through the Internet. I guess you'd prefer that nicely through the yeah. Internet. Not necessarily through the Internet, though. <laughs> and, like the good, yeah. Meeting someone face to face is always nice, you know, person. Just not tongue to tongue. Oh, not, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, not till we get to know him. Yeah. And Lightning Dust, you are on the Jag, 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 Jaguar record label. As I mentioned, mm-hmm. I've always been confused about that record label, you know, being Nardwar, the human serviette. Not that I didn't rip that name off from somebody else. However, when you think about it, Jag, Jag, Jaguar is very close to Nard, Nard, Nardwar. Why is it called Jag, 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 Jaguar? <laughs> It's, it's like tied into some childhood memory of Darius, who is the label owner. Something something shady, but uh, I think it was basically just some word he made up when he was a kid and decided to name his record label that. Unless you have any more insight into that, Amber. Mm, no. Because that is exactly what I was thinking for Nardwar to Human Serviette, a dumb name that I thought of. And I also became more suspicious because there's the Jag, 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 Jaguar record label that you guys, Lightning Dust, are on. And again, we're speaking here live to Lightning Dust. If anybody has any questions for Lightning Dust, it's 604-822-247, 604-UBCCITR. Lightning Dust are playing next week in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at Biltmore with Cipriano and the Lost Lovers Brigade. Well, I was thinking Jag, Jag, Jaguar, it seemed, okay, maybe, you know, perhaps he thought of something at the same time I did, you know, same sort of name, etc. But isn't Jag Jag Jaguar also associated with the secretly Canadian record label? Yeah. So uh, I was thinking, you know, secretly Canadian Jag Jag Jaguar, that's getting really close to me. Yeah, super, super close to you. <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah, I'd be highly suspicious. In fact, uh, you know, you might want to you know, do some some more investigating and see if you can get get yourself like a bit of a bit of a lawsuit together. Now, how did you guys find them, or how did they find you, or how did they find Black Mountain? And when they discovered you, were you like, "Where the hell have you been for the past ten years? We've been waiting for you." <laughs> sort of, sort of. But yeah, it's it's funny. We um, uh, back when Stephen from Black Mountain and I were in a band called Jerk with a Bomb. Uh, we used to send secretly Canadian our demos, and uh, we'd heard of them because because of that song's Ohio guy. And uh, so we kept sending them our demos, and they're the only ones who were nice enough to write us back and say, uh, we don't want to put out your records. Um, and uh, so they kind of continued to correspond with us until we were starting to put together the Black Mountain stuff, and Steve was putting together his Pink Mountain Top stuff, and at that point, they became interested, basically, and uh, uh, they decided that they sort of have a label conglomeration thing going on where they they both sort of participate in the two labels, and they decided that Black Mountain was a Jag Jaguar band. And here you are on Jag Jaguar with <laughs> lightning dust as well. <laughs> so the dust, get on, was that hard to get the dust on Jag Jag Jaguar? No, actually, I mean, we... we uh, we were just kind of making some demos for fun and stuff. We uh, we sent out like this little kind of Christmas EP thing to our friends and sent one to them, and they uh, they got interested in it. 
yeah, they kind of they convinced us to to sort of uh, re-record them and add some more songs, and and they put out an album for us. So that was really nice. Josh and Amber of Lightning Dust, how long have you guys known Derek from the Cave Singers? Of course, not only the Cave Singers, but the Murder City Devils. The Pretty Girls Make Graves. Like, he has been touring this dude for like 14 years straight, like every month. He tours a lot. How long have you known Derek? Uh, we've known him for uh, maybe like four years now. Uh, pers- yeah. Like, he's been a good pal of ours for about four years now, I guess. Because he's been touring, as I mentioned, for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. He must know everything. Isn't he been on the road, like, basically for 12 years straight and all the different bands he's been in? Because, you know, he was in Murder City Devils, and when that died off, he had Pretty Girls Make Graves, and that went full out. And now he has Cave Singers going full. Like, he has been on the road. He must have some sort of record just for being on the road straight, eh? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a career guy, man. He's, he's really in, into music for the long haul. That's pretty cool yeah i mean long before i knew him i used to see him play with the murder city devils all the time up here at like the piccadilly pub and stuff like that and uh, I, I actually saw him in a really like early band of his um the unabombers or one of those bands uh area 51 they were called they were like a a, a punk band and he played bass in that and then andrea zolo uh, who was a singer from Pretty Girls Make Raves, and then Spencer Moody, who was a singer from Murder City Devils, were both singers in that band, and they played with Submission Hold at Crosstown Traffic in, like, the mid-'90s sometime. Were you an ex-dead teenager at that time? Um, that, I think that was even pre-ex-dead teenager, so it must have been, like, 94 or something. Ex-dead teenager came out in, like, 96. So he's been touring straight for maybe 14 years. He's just been doing it. And you guys, oh, yeah. you guys are going to be touring with the Cave Singers for a big tour as well. And so you have done the road thing with Derek before then. Does he have any special sort of tips? He knows where all the good Mexican food is, and uh, he's, he's big on the, the travel and food, so he's, he's good for that. Yeah, yeah, and he, he, knows, he knows where the, uh, knows where the uh, uh, hot springs are. Oh, so that's the secret, eh? The yeah, hot springs. He likes to keep out a bit of the nature into into touring, which is cool with us. Where are some of the hot springs? Um, well, there's one that's just east of Eugene, uh, in in Oregon, uh, called Terwilliger, that uh, is highly recommended. Derek led us to that place. Uh, it's really cool. Super, super kind of natural setting. It's not like funneled into any sort of tiled pool or anything. It's all just these rock rock pools made by hand. Amber and Josh from Lightning Dust playing next Thursday at the Biltmore here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Speaking of Northwest legends, did you guys ever meet Carrie Brownstein from Sleater Kinney? Because on her NPR blog, she says, quote, but there's only one record that I listen to every single day, and that's Lightning Dust's upcoming, upcoming, <laughs> bit of promo for you, Infinite Light. <laughs> we haven't met her yet, no. That's really nice that she said that. Have you seen any of her bands at all before? Have you seen Sleater Kinney play oh, before? Yeah, I've seen yeah, Sleater Kinney many times. I think I uh, saw them at Rock for Choice. Yeah, yeah I remember seeing them there. Vancouver East Cultural Center. At the Vancouver East Cultural Center. I was also going to say, though, she gives props to Glenn Danzig, too. So I guess for listeners out there, they might be like, oh, cool, Carrie has good taste. Well, she's also giving props to Danzig. <laughs> Just joking. Well, well, 
Let me just tell you that you're talking to two big Danzig fans. <laughs> and what is the closest you've got to Danzig? That's my question for you. Oh, uh, Matt from Black Mountain, his friend Howie used to play bass in Danzig's band. And we met him. <laughs> That's as close as we've gotten to Danzig. <laughs> How about Chuck Biscuits? You being a drummer, Josh, from Vancouver, British yeah. Columbia, Canada. Chuck Biscuits has lived in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. What's the closest you've got to Chuck Biscuits? It wasn't, oh. the, war- it wasn't the Warp Tour watching Social Distortion, was it? <laughs> no, no, no. Chuck Biscuits is a great drummer, but I, I don't think I've ever gotten close to meeting him. I think, though, it's totally cool, though, that Carrie gave you those props. Did you get much feedback from that? Because that's just totally amazing. Because she, likes hangs out with that Fred Armisen guy from Saturday Night Live. And she is so nice. And to get those sort of props from Sleater Kinney, Carrie, that's incredible. Yeah, it's rad. I mean, she seems like a cool lady with impeccable taste. <laughs> Amber, when you guys played New York City, you played Santos Party House in New York, Andrew W.K.'s club. Yeah, we did. Was Andrew W.K. there at all at that time? And what is that place like, (laughs) Santos Party House? How does that work for the lightning dust vibe? It was was nice. And yes, Andrew W.K. was there. And uh, it was, well, we played with Bonnie Prince Billy that night. So it sort of had a mellow mellow vibe the whole evening so lightning dust it was fun to play that show it, it, it felt nice do you think and, in there. do you think andrew wk because it's his club has a draw like he helped draw people to your gig because people knew he was <laughs> going to be there like do people come to the club just to see andrew wk well i i have a feeling that the draw was neither us nor andrew wk that night it was bonnie prince billy <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was yeah but the club is pretty cool it's like it covered a- from like floor to ceiling in inspirational messages printed on these like <laughs> laminated placards on the wall. It's pretty nice, and all the staff are really positive. <laughs> <laughs> is it a heavy metalish sort of vibe? Like, is it a metal sort of club? Like, what I mean by metal, like you know, lots of metal floors and fixtures and stuff. Is it pretty metal? Yeah, like the walls are painted black and stuff like that. I wouldn't say it was metal, but it it's definitely like a rock club. Well, there's the downstairs, though. There's a downstairs to that place, and it's a lounge, kind of a DJ booth, and that's getting a little fancier down there. But the venue, uh, the live music part of the venue is pretty, it's just basically a black box. Did you ever play the Lunatic Fringe at all in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Josh? I never did, uh, but I did see some shows there, for sure. Have you encountered any clubs like that in all your travels around with that huge drum riser? What's the biggest drum riser that you've been on? Do you remember the drum riser at the Lunatic Fringe? Yeah, it was pretty big, huh? It was like half the way up to the ceiling. It was incredible. Well, (laughs) I have an aversion to drum risers. I'm not big on them. Um, So usually, like, whenever I'm playing the drums, like, I try to get them to take the drum riser off the stage. But no, I don't think I ever had to play on a drum riser that big. Although, the Starfish Room, or not the Starfish Room, uh, like, you remember Richards on Richards? Like, near the end, they kind of constructed, they made the DJ booth into the drum riser, and that was pretty damn high, too. How about you, Amber? Have you ever been forced to stand on a drum riser? <laughs> I don't think so. Like, have you ever been forced to stand where you didn't want to stand on stage? Or are you I've... pretty mobile? I mean, I know you're just standing there, but have you ever been forced to stand there? Like, Amber will stand here. <laughs> no, but I have been forced off a, off too small of a stage onto the floor to sing, and that's always kind of a bit 
kind of strange when the band split up like that. But other than that, but no, I've never been. I've never had to stand on a drum rising. And there was lots of room at the Apollo Theater. Did Lightning Dust play the Apollo Theater? Yes, yes we did. Were you the first band from the Vancouver? British Columbia, Canada, indie rock punk seemed to play the Apollo. You played the Apollo. I know. It's cool. I don't know if we're the first, though, but, I mean, like, uh, I, I'd only be jet guessing uh, there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, quite a privilege. Don't you sign your name when you play the Apollo backstage somewhere? Like, could you check to see if there's any Canadian band names signed somewhere? Like, you played the Apollo. The <laughs> Apollo. <laughs> we saw Obama's signature. Yeah. <laughs> and we saw some Snoop Dogg. But uh no we didn't sign anything back there. Maybe uh Bonnie Prince Billy guys did, but How not. come how come you didn't you weren't allowed to or you just didn't want to like wreck anything? <laughs> we didn't get asked, so <laughs> <laughs> so they might be pretty sp- suspicious if you walked around with a black. Was it pretty high security there? Like, are they? Yeah, actually, they, they have a lot of a lot of staff there. It's very it's very um, uh, well staffed. Yeah. So light, security. So Lightning Dust, I'm asking you about your adventures all about. We're in New York City right now, and Lightning Dust are heading to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada next Thursday night at the Biltmore. Actually, they're in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to the best of my knowledge right now. You are in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada right now, aren't you, Lightning Dust? Yes, yeah. we are. If you head up on over to Edmonton, there are quite a few venues to play. One of them is the Sidetrack, and I notice you played there with the Pink Mountaintops, the Sidetrack. Oh, the sidetrack. Okay, I, yeah, yeah. And I noticed that that was around the time that the Oilers were in the NHL Finals. <laughs> oh, right. I remember that show. What is it like playing a gig when there's like a sports game on a television and you have to go on even though the sports game is on the television? Like you're up against a sports game. Well, it's a loose battle if it's the hometown crowd. How about that particular show, Amber? Were you at that one? Do you remember playing yeah, Edmonton? Yeah, I remember that. Um, I I think I can't be I can't be certain on this, but I think that they waited till the game ended and then we started our show. Yeah, and everyone sure was really right. happy because they'd won that game, so it made for like an excellent show, if I remember right. Have you encountered other sports games causing to screw up some of your gigs at all, there, Amber, yeah, on your travels? It, yeah. It's been, it's, I mean, we've definitely had that for sure. Um, I mean, especially when we're in playing Cleveland. smaller venues. That happened in Cleveland. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> that we happened. Were, we were playing the Grog Shop there. Uh, it was Black Mountain was playing the Grog Shop there. And uh, uh, I think there was a baseball game going on. And, I mean, we, we had no idea, right? Uh, but anyways, like, it, it seemed like a great show, you know. It was, like, packed, uh, you know, maybe even sold out, uh, but, like, in the middle of our set, like, in the middle of a song, all of a sudden, like, the audience started cheering, and we were like, what the... <laughs> we were just like, what the hell's going on? What What are you applauding for? And then we all look over and notice that the audience isn't even paying attention to us playing. They're just watching a TV screen in the corner and going nuts because they got, like, home run. Uh, so that was kind of... Um, deflating moment. Yeah. <laughs> However, the word you say there, the audience, is very important. At least there was an audience, eh? Hey, yeah, yeah, I mean, they were there. I mean, they weren't there for the music, but, uh... 
<laughs> Josh and Amber, how ab- from Lightning Dust? How about your Winnipeg shows? How have your Winnipeg shows gone in all your different bands? Has Lightning Dust played Winnipeg? How did that go? And how did that go? Oh, we're, we're playing it for the first time on this tour, so Lightning Dust has never played Winnipeg. And how about Pink Mountain Tops or Jerk with a Bomb shows in Winnipeg? How has Winnipeg treated you guys? <laughs> Last time I went to Winnipeg with Pink Mountain Tops, I got really, really sick. And I actually couldn't play the show. I was throwing up constantly, and I was laying in bed in a hotel room. I was so sick. So last time we were in Winnipeg, I'm kind of scared to go back almost. It was so terrible for me. Although that wasn't the last time you were in Winnipeg, Amber. It wasn't? Last time oh, yeah. we were in Winnipeg yes. was with Black Mountain. Black Mountain, yeah. We had yeah, a great show. Right. Where great was show at the Pyramid. Um, uh, but before that... Basically, like, Winnipeg's been pretty good to us lately uh, with, like, the paint on tops and with, with Black Mountain and stuff. Earlier on, it was a bit of a struggle with Jerk with a Bomb, but it was a bit of a struggle everywhere for Jerk with a Bomb, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily Winnipeg. What's the struggle with Jerk with a Bomb? Actually, I'll ask Amber. Amber, what is the struggle with Jerk with a Bomb? What would Josh be referring to? Well, I was only in the band for the last bit of it, but I did go on one tour with Jerk with a Bomb, and... Uh, it was just there. It was like that band had a curse on it or something. We play, we played all over the place, but no one came to any of the shows, and and uh, it was just it was just, it was a hard tour. It was it was a long uh, hard tour with no one. We basically played to no one every single night. So I don't know. And now was, pe- and now people want a reunion show. No. No. Well, I think Vancouver. We've always had Jerk of the Bomb has always had great shows in Vancouver. I would love to go, you know, see Jerk of the Bomb. You had a good review from the Winnipeg Free Press. This is Lightning Dust, and again, we're speaking here to Josh and Amber from Lightning Dust, who are playing next Thursday night at the Biltmore here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. They have a brand new CD LP out. Actually, is it coming out on vinyl as well? It is. Out on vinyl. And the Winnipeg Free Press gave your brand new CD a four out of five review. That's pretty good. Four yep. out of five. Right on. Yeah, that's right great. On. I, I did see a little thing at the very bottom of the review, however. This is from the Winnipeg Free Press. In quotes, it said, the only misstep is the conclusion, the conclusion. And I'm not sure if they meant the end of the song, the conclusion, or the inclusion. So they say the only misstep is the conclusion of never seen, which crosses into new age territory. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, awesome. So, So my question to you is, they're saying the song never seen could be new age, is it the end of the song that's New Age, or is it the whole song? Because they say the only misstep is the conclusion of Never Seen. At the end of your song, Never Seen, Lightning Dust, does it go New Agey, or is the whole thing New Agey? Well, at the end of the song, we couldn't resist, but uh, we put sort of like a bit of a techno beat at the end. <laughs> it gets pretty, like, Eurythmics kind of at the end, I guess. So, yeah, there is like a... And, you know, there's sort of like an ethereal vocal thing going on. And, yeah, yeah, it could be construed as New Agey, and that's cool. That's fine with me. Yeah, to me, that's like, great. Okay, I should go out and get it. Another (laughs) review of you guys back from 2007, from your first 
LP. It said, and this is from Earshot, the online campus community radio association chart listing. This is on the internet and in Exclaim magazine. It said, lightning dust finds black mountaineers trading psychedelic rock for goth. So you traded psychedelic rock for goth. So now <laughs> with your new LP, lightning dust finds black mountaineers trading goth for... Jeez, uh, well, I, I'd say for uh, for like you haven't for tra- more pop, you know. So you haven't got rid of the goth. Tell me, you haven't got rid of the goth. There's- no, we have not got rid of the goth. Because there are bongos in one of your songs, aren't there? <laughs> well, yeah. well, that you know that song you were talking about before. Never seen that. That definitely owes uh, a lot to goth. Um, How about the song The Times, though? Are there bongos in The Times? <laughs> yeah, that song owes nothing to goth. Because yeah, that's what I was thinking, like, bongos and goth don't seem like they'd go together too well. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. But, uh, you know, from song to song, you know, we we like to take liberties in that way. We're not really going for one sort of, like, uh, style on the record. You know, we like to kind of jump around a bit. I guess it's, it's just... Uh, just the way it goes with us. Amber and Josh from Lightning Dust. You're in the band Lightning Dust, but Amber, are you also in another band which I find confusing? I don't quite understand. Or was this a one-off thing? Final Fantasy Online, a.k.a. Internet. What was that band? <laughs> uh, that was in the, that's, that's been, yeah, that's been out there on the, in the Internet world, but uh, has nothing to do with me. So I don't know what's going on with that. Because it has your name attached to it, and it also says Final Fantasy, and I don't think it is the band Final Fantasy. It's guy Nick <laughs> from the band Islands. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that, yeah. <laughs> do, do you know them? Were you at that gig? Do you have any idea what the hell that was? I was, you're, I was not at that gig, and I don't know them at all, so... Yeah, I really don't know. Maybe it's somebody... a maybe it's a dare for you. Kind of, he's just doing that to like dare you to join a band. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> dare you to join another band, Amber? <laughs> now, Stephen of Black Mountain, he likes eating peaches, doesn't he? <laughs> Probably. I mean, who doesn't? He loves the peaches. And Josh, you like pie, don't you? You love the pie. I like banana cream pie. You love the pie. And you like making hot dogs out of Twinkies? <laughs> well, I did. I did once. I made <laughs> I made fake hot dogs out of uh, Twinkies. I used Twinkies as the bun, and then I used some sort of like like coconut, pink coconut mixture as the hot dog itself, and then I uh, put like yellow uh, icing and red icing for the mustard and the ketchup. Yeah, it was, it was you know, for a bit of a food competition that our neighbor put on. It seems very convincing. How did it go? Did you win the competition? I won that competition. Oh, right! Now, would you ever consider about using that for album art? Album art! <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, uh, you know, desperate times. Uh, Amber, the album art you have of your new CD, Lightning Dust, the new CD... What exactly is that? I love the art. I want it to be a real scene. What is it? What is that art? Oh, I want to live in that house. Uh, it, it's something that uh, comes from the mind of Jeremy Schmidt, um, and he put that together. It's a collage. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's just from old, old like, 70s magazines, um, like an architecture, architect magazine. That's from I think the house is from Woodstock. 
Um, I don't know. Have you guys? Stayed- <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, but it looks great. Have you stayed in any houses like that when you've been on tour? You know, a lot of times there's hotels that have presidential suites <laughs> or they have Disneyland suites. Have you stayed in any hotels that are really neatly decorated or houses that are decorated like that? Not like that. Not exactly like that. Like, nothing close to that. I know the rock and roll band, The Schmugglers, Grant from The Schmugglers, he told me once they went on tour and they stayed at a place where it was like 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, Christmas. They always had the Christmas lights and Christmas tree up all day, all year. Have you stayed in places like that, some of the houses? Oh, hey, we we stayed in a, a motel once in, I think it was in North Dakota. It was like called the Alaskan Inn. And... Of course, you know, like, whatever, we were just in the middle of a super long drive, and it was probably the coolest hotel we've ever stayed in. All the all the rooms were made out um, to be, like, log cabins on the inside, and uh, it, had, it had, like, two master beds and then three little beds and then a hot tub in it. it. This was, like, some crazy, like, deal we got in the middle of the night. It was the best hotel we've ever stayed in, and... We got to stay there for like four hours because we were just too tired to keep driving and we had to get up after four hours of sleep and leave, so we didn't get to enjoy it at all. Oh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Where did you guys stay in Pemberton? Because you were at the Pemberton Music Festival, or did you get helicoptered in? Uh, No, we drove there. We drove there. It took a while. We stayed at a friend's uh, little cabin that she had. Really? North or south of Pemberton or Whistler? Whereabouts? Did you get caught in Whistler? Did you get caught in any traffic at all? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it took us about two hours from Whistler to Pemberton to get to our show. And then yeah. every time we wanted to go back to the festival, it took us about that long to get there. So. What I find interesting is, and I'm not sure if this is true or not, but did Coldplay help you get on the Pemberton bill? No. Damn, that was my theory that goes back to that band that I was mentioning to you, Amber, there, Final Fantasy <laughs> Online, a.k.a. Internet, because that's Nick from the band Islands, right? Nick from the band Islands, and Islands took the Arcade Fire on tour with them for the very first time. So Islands helped break the Arcade Fire, and then I was thinking, the Arcade Fire, weren't they Coldplay's first choice to open for them in Black Mountain? <laughs> oh, I think, I think they were, yeah. Like, thank you, Arcade... Because I was going to say, thank you, Arcade Fire, for cancelling, because then Coldplay became into Black Mountain, and then Black Mountain got to go play the Pemberton Music Festival and stay in their (laughs) friend's cabin. But it wasn't that, though. It wasn't Coldplay. I I don't think that's why we played Pemberton, no. But the Arcade Fire did cancel, didn't they? They cancelled. Oh, they did, they did, they did. But not not Pemberton, but uh, they did cancel when... uh, They didn't cancel, but, like, uh, back in 2005... Coldplay wanted to take Arcade Fire on the road, and they said no, and so Black Mountain was their second choice. And hooray, I'm so glad that that (laughs) happened. Lastly, winding up here with Lightning Dust playing next week, next Thursday, at the Biltmore, at the Biltmore. When was the last time you played in Vancouver? Uh, We we played a little show in, uh, in June, actually. It was just sort of a party, though. Oh, with Lady Hawk, right? Yeah, yeah, with Ladyhawk uh, at uh, the Lifetime Warehouse, which is on, uh, I guess it was on West 5th. So you're playing with the Lost Lovers Brigade in Cipriano Thursday the 27th next week in Vancouver. 
I actually met the other Lady Hawk, not from Vancouver or, you know, from Kelowna <laughs> or New whatever. Zealand? Yes, the New Zealand Lady Hawk lady. Right, right. And right. I was saying to her that I read interviews with the band Lady Hawk from Vancouver saying that Lady Hawk fans would go to their gigs. Yeah, yeah, and get mad at them. <laughs> and I asked her if any Lady Hawk fans from Lady Hawk from Vancouver went to her gigs and then got mad at her. Yeah, so? No. No. It didn't work that way. That's kind of getting confusing, though, isn't it? The hawk yeah. versus hawk. She seemed like a nice lady, though. She seemed like yeah. a nice lady. That's cool. That's cool. And she had a guy drumming for her that was friends with the band Kate Nash from England, who are friends with the Cribs from Wakefield, England, who are friends with Franz Ferdinand, who recorded in Vancouver, who have actually hung out in Vancouver, who I've interviewed, so I guess maybe Lady Hawk's okay. But that was kind of interesting, Lady Hawk versus Lady Hawk, wasn't it? You guys were like at the center of that, weren't you? <laughs> well, we're not, I mean, we weren't really at the center of it, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a shame that, that people wouldn't, you know, do their homework enough, but uh, you can see how people might mistake it for for the other band on the internet or something like that, but to actually go to a show and see, you know, and, you know, it, it should be relatively easy to figure out that it's not the same artist playing your, your town or whatever, but I guess it can get confusing. And it's not spelt the same, is it? There's an E difference. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's an there's E difference. difference. A tiny little E at the end. You toured with the Cave Singers. How did you meet Will Oldham? Uh... Well, we met uh, Will because my sister Ashley um, played on one of his albums. She's she's the female vocalist on um, "Lay Down in the Light," and uh, she met him playing with Pink Mountain Tops in Victoria. Pink Mountain Tops got asked to open for Bonnie Prince Billy, so she met him um, after the show. They they went out to a party together. And then they kept in touch, and then when he was recording the Lay Down in the Light album, uh, he flew her out to Nashville to, to record with him. And then, um, and then they, they sort of kept in touch, and in the meantime, Ashley had given him a Lightning Dust album, and he had uh, really liked it, and, and uh, yeah, and then just asked us to tour with him. And so you're going to be touring with him coming up as well, or have you already done that tour? Like, you did a bit at the Apollo, right? That was, are you doing yeah, more with him? Yeah, we did two weeks with Bonnie Prince Billy um, this spring, so... Yeah, that's all done. Does he ever talk about Johnny Cash? Because, like, Johnny Cash covered one of his songs. Johnny Cash! Yeah. Well, they, did, they actually did it together. Was, he actually, that song was together. he actually in the studio with Johnny Cash at the moment well, they were doing it? if you listen to that song, you, know, uh, you can hear Will Oldham singing in the background. So he so, was... Yeah, they were together. They sang it together, which is pretty special. Did he say anything about that? Like, was it one take? Did, was Johnny sincere about doing it, or was this Rick Rubin holding a gun to his head? <laughs> I don't know. I never talked to uh, Will about any of that, but, um, yeah, so I'm not too sure. Uh, what else is Ashley up to? What is Ashley up to? Yeah. Um, well, uh, she's she's actually playing, she's been sort of jamming with this guy, this, this guy in town, and they're starting to write some songs together, so maybe she'll, she'll, uh, she'll have the new band coming up, but... Um, she's just playing in, in Lightning Dust, and she works at the Portland Society, and she's she's a busy woman. What the hell happened to the organ? Everything was going so well with the organ. <laughs> Ashley's been. What happened? Well, Who knows? They were kind of a yeah, they're a sinking ship for sure. They, uh, I don't know. I guess it's just 
they had different ideas of what they wanted, and I don't think they they were meant to be in a band together, maybe. I don't know. I just know that a lot of bands actually seem to really know who the organ were. Like, even that band from England, the Kaiser Chiefs, you know, that huge band, it's basically the new version of Madness, Our House. <laughs> they love the organ. Like, tons and tons of people seem to love the organ. Do you have any organ fans coming out to Lightning Dust gigs at all? or what actually, sort of? yeah. Funny enough, we did, uh, we had sort of a terrible show in, um, in Edmonton last time we rolled through. Wasn't, there just wasn't a lot of people there at all. And, and, but the, the few people that came out um, came out because they heard Ashley from the organ was going to be in this new band. And so, yeah, and they were great. We, we had fun hanging out with those guys. So That's cool. So she was a draw, not like Andrew W.K. Andrew W.K. was not a draw <laughs> to your own gig. <laughs> no. Well, thanks so much, Lightning Dust, Amber and Josh, playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, next Thursday night. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? Coming up, we're going to be playing the song The Times, featuring some bongos, and wondering what everyone knows. What can you say about those songs? Oh, well, uh, okay. First of all, The Times, like I said before, owes nothing to goth. (laughs) And uh, more to, well, you'll see. Uh, And uh, wondering what everyone knows is, Lightning Dust soul cover song covering uh, 70s Welsh rockers Budgie. Oh, R- Budgie! Yeah. The bu- what can you tell the people about the Budgie? Weren't they kind of like a prog rock band, Budgie? Not really. They're more of like a straight up, like a uh, hard rocking, you know, like blues based rock band. Uh, and uh, they, they, um, their singer has probably, well, one of the oddest voices in hard rock. Uh, interestingly enough, you could compare his voice slightly to Geddy Lee in a way. Uh, uh, and if you look at a picture of him, he's a bass player, and he actually looks like Geddy Lee. So maybe it's like, you know, something genetic. Wow, this album has everything. A budgie cover. <laughs> yeah, a a budgie, budgie cover. cover. That's incredible. Well, anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Josh or Amber? Uh Well, for our show um, next Thursday, I believe it's a bit of an early show, so... I think things will get started a bit. Maybe I think like doors are at eight o'clock, so that's something that people should know to come out a little earlier if you want to catch everything. Cipriano and the Lost Lovers Brigade, and of course right. Lightning Dust. Well, thanks so much, Lightning Dust. Keep on rocking in the free world and do 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 do. Fly 
tapes, new game that you gotta set the sticks out of play. You love cover the light of another, and that's where you decide to stay.
And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. That was Wondering What Everyone Knows, as done by Lightning Dust, as originally done by Butchie. And before that, Lightning Dust with The Times. And before that, an interview with Lightning Dust, who are playing next Thursday night at the Biltmore in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. An early show. To end the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, I thought I would play a cassette that I got here from this 1980s music magazine from England called SF. X. I guess it was their attempt to create the ultimate radio show, kind of like somebody what does like with a podcast now, except they couldn't do it on the radio. They did it on a cassette. So you'd buy the cassette, you'd pop it in, and you'd hear like the ultimate radio show. It was never broadcast anywhere except on your Walkman. I guess as a result of it being very, very old, over 20 years old, maybe even like 25 years old, actually, maybe even like older than that. 21st November 1981 this particular one is from this is issue number one sometimes the cassette doesn't play too well so if you hear me yanking out the cassette it's me yanking out and trying to put another one in but it's going to begin with I think a little discussion about Carlos Santana but then it's going to go into something about how home taping is killing the music industry and this again is from a neat magazine called S. FX issue number one, 21st November 1981. It's got madness here on the cover. 60 minutes of madness links, Spandel Ballet, Bow Wow Wow, Soft Cell, Neil Young, Human League, LPs, and more. It's got reviews and stuff. Hopefully, you'll be able to hear as much as we can before the tape breaks. So, here is SFX from the 21st November 1981. They're old news. Why? In a word, Toshiba's walkie is a stereo radio, too. It clips in like a cassette. Just tune in. Toshiba! Toshiba or not Toshiba, that is the... Or take the radio out and play ordinary cassettes. The walkie. Simple. But there's only one technical word you need to know. I find a cassette more useful because I've got one of those cassette recorders I can take around with me. Do you ever tape albums onto blank cassettes? Not often. <laughs> uh, when I, sometimes I do, but not very often. Did you know that was actually illegal? Uh, no. Home taping is illegal. If you read the small print on a record, it says, Unauthorised public performance, broadcasting and copying of this record prohibited, or words to that effect. But one reason why people do home tape is because records cost about a fiver. There have indeed been a number of people, uh, cons- consumers in the past, who have complained that uh, they are unemployed or whatever, and uh, within the recession they simply haven't got the money to go and buy albums anymore. Well, that's fair enough, but uh, I can only stress again that this is no justification for stealing. It's like me saying that I'd like to buy a new car, but I can't afford it, so I'm going to go and steal one. It's exactly the same thing. Richard Robson of the BPI, an organisation which represents 95% of the music industry. He has strong opinions on the matter which may not entirely be linked to the moral welfare of the nation. 
We've been monitoring the growth uh, of home taping in this country for some years now uh, with a series of market research studies that have been undertaken by outside market research organisations. Uh, the latest of these studies was published at the very beginning of 1980 uh, and indicated that uh, losses had grown to something like uh, £220 million per year. It has now become a priority for the BPI to get that money back. Do you ever buy blank cassettes and then uh, record other albums onto them? Yes, I do that. I do that all the time, especially off the radio. Of course, the suggestions that the government are making um, for extra revenue primarily uh, evolve around uh, extra revenue coming from um, you know, the broadcasting organisations. We consider this is entirely impractical and we would have thought the broadcasting organisations would as well. Uh, it seems to us that the only fair and equitable way to uh, compensate rights owners for their losses is by way of a levy on blank cassettes and cassette recording equipment. That levy is intended to raise the revenue. Artists diverse as Andy Summers, Jonah Louie and Kiki D have lent their support to a BPI campaign of adverts, badges and t-shirts, proclaiming that home taping is killing music. All this in support of a levy to raise money. The money raised would be distributed to uh, copyright owners who are actually losing. Uh, that means record companies, record producers, songwriters, music publishers and artists. Given these hard times, what other solutions are there? Island Records have a project called One Plus One, which they believe is helping their artists. The only real gauge of the success of uh, One Plus One has been to measure the tape sales of uh, titles which were out last year on the conventional kind of pre-recorded cassette. For instance, Cat Stevens' back catalogue. Uh, we sold something like six or seven hundred percent more this year than last year. That's Rob Partridge, press officer at Island. Could One Plus One solve the £220 million deficit? One Plus One is a cassette that used to have a pre-recorded album backed over with a blank side. It now has the LP repeated on both sides. Either way, one whole side of the cassette is up for grabs. Ireland have been accused of helping home taping. We are actually making money for our artists because we've increased sales, which more than compensates for the potential loss of revenue on the B side. We don't advocate what anyone should do on the B side, uh, but nevertheless... Obviously, there are people who use the B-side for recording other people's material. Nevertheless, if the entire music business converted their uh, cassette series to one plus one format, then the potential sales on our pre-recorded cassettes would far outweigh their sales potentially lost. Are Ireland in favour of home taping? No, they're not. We too, of course, as record producers, stand to lose as much as anyone else. Therefore, we advocate a blank tape levy. We're uh, completely in agreement with the BPI's form, uh, policy on that. So, will the BPI be putting a levy on Ireland's one plus one system? Time will tell. But leaving aside questions of how the money raised would be distributed and whether the already successful artist would take more than the less successful, the £220 million question is, what would the levy represent? The levy would be decided upon by an outside tribunal. Um, what we have pointed out to the Department of Trade, however, is that given the size of our losses at the moment and given the size of the blank set market in this country as it is at the moment, uh, in order for us to have full compensation, we are talking about something like £1 on a C60, £2 on a C90 and £3 on a C120. Which at current prices could put a blank C60 at £2.20, a blank C90 at £3.50 and a blank C120 at £4.80. However, I must stress that uh, these figures um, are purely to indicate the, the, the size of levy 
in order for us to have full recompense. Um, I don't think any levy that would be introduced would be anything like as high as this. Phew. Brushing your teeth makes your mouth feel clean. A pack of dentine chewing gum keeps it feeling clean right through the day. So don't lose that freshness. Breath gum. Reviewing three records this week are Hugh Cornwall and Jack Black from The Stranglers, with Mark Springer and Gareth Sager of Rip Rig and Panic. First up, Dare by Human League on Virgin Records. Review again. These are selections from the SFX series of audio magazines that I picked up. That one is like totally dead. Let's try another one here to wind up on an Ardwater Human Survey Radio show to see what will happen. And here we go. The delicious Wimpy Quarter Pounder is just one of the great range of Wimpy Burgers topped with a brown wheat meal bun. Wimpy's a great place to get all the goodness of wheat meal because... Wimpy is the home of the hamburger with the greatest burgers under the bun. We've got the greatest burgers under the bun. In the last issue of SFX, you'll thrill to the exploits of Paul McCartney. This album, I felt a bit limited working with the group and just going and making another group album. Um, so, PR 101.9 FM brings you Computer Club. Friday, August 21st, midnight until late at the Woods, second in Ontario, with DJs Jules Andre Brown, Brad.